Hey everyone, this is Paul Siegel, and you're listening to Wandering DMs. Wandering DMs comes to you live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern, and you can catch us on twitch.tv slash wanderingdms, or youtube.com slash wanderingdms slash live. And now, on with the show. Hi everyone, welcome to Wandering DMs. I'm Paul. And I'm Dan, and today on Wandering DMs, uh, we have a very special guest, Karen Twelves, who is the author of the book Improv for Gamers, uh, and she's now crowdfunding for an expanded second edition on GameFound.com. Karen, thank you so much for being with us today. Hello, thanks so much for having me. Let's tell, let me tell your, our viewers a little bit more about you. So you uh, teach workshops for theaters and businesses and conventions in uh, improvisational theater. Um, and you've also worked as an editor on a number of game products like Fiasco and Blades in the Dark and also Thirsty Sword Lesbians, uh, all of which we have played at one point or another recently or maybe a year or two ago. So um, you've got, so one of the things I noticed when I read um, your, the, the foreword to your new book is the very first paragraph says that you've got three loves and it's gaming and it's improv and it's teaching. And that hit very, very close to home for me. Yeah, I found it. I found the center of it. It's this, it's teaching <laughs> improv. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about what the what this book is about. Uh, like even in the first edition, what, what, uh, why, why was this game put into the world? Sure. So I think by now the idea that improv is a helpful thing to help expand your uh, gaming skills is something that people are really familiar with. It And it's not just for GMs. I know we often think about an improv GM and kind of making things up on the spot, being a little less scripted, but improv teaches so many skills that is helpful for everybody. Uh, because I mean, what are the players doing? They're making it all up too. So improv teaches skills of just how to collaborate really well, how to be a little more bold in taking risks with your character, and also focusing on building other people up and showing your interest in other, other characters and the story as a whole. So it just teaches a lot of good fundamentals for how to role play together. And though there is a lot of talk about it, what I really wanted to do is find a way to get people to be able to practice it in very low stakes, fun and easy way, even without having to take an improv class. I did start originally teaching this about 10 years ago as a workshop series. And it started with a very kind of overview intro to improv. And then we started making workshops that were a little bit more focused. So we would do an improv for GMs or an improv for LARPers or improv for characters and start drilling down on different things. Uh, and I mean, we still offer the, the basic introduction one. A lot of it is what do I feel like teaching at that convention that I'm going to and I'll, I'll pitch something different you know, each time. Uh, and so the book came out as a collection of a lot of those workshop, uh, a lot of those exercises that we teach in the workshops. And particularly they're pitched in a way and, and presented in such a way that what I hope is that people can open up the book and play this game in five minutes with their friends. It has a very brief introduction of, hey, here's a skill that's important for gaming. Uh, you know, perhaps like active listening. You can practice it through this, you know, silly little theater game. 
here's the instructions, done. <laughs> so it's just trying to make improv really accessible, not scary, and focus on, it's not about being a performer, it's about being a good collaborator. Cool. So you're so obviously you run uh, dedicated workshops that last uh, mm -hmm. probably an hour or two or three, something like that. Uh, and yeah, two to four, depending on the time slot. But often now I try to get it in two hours because I think it gets a little exhausting after. It's hard to be on that long. I've done four hour workshops, but we definitely <laughs> needed like a nice break in the middle. And it was very much a, a more like intensive. And when I take improv classes, that's often what it is. It's like a half day intensive workshop. Mm -hmm. And originally that's kind of how I was teaching it and then realized more and more like, no, this needs to be shorter. Also, if I'm teaching it at a con, people are gaming all weekend. Like they're doing stuff. Their brains are gonna be really, really active. So I want to give them something a little bit short and sweet that they can kind of start their day with. If if uh, game runners were incorporating this into into their play, I'm curious. Would you expect them to do something like that, where they're setting up special hour or two hour dedicated time to go over this stuff, or are you really looking for like like the first five minutes of any given game? We're just gonna bang one out and then and then roll into the game. I think it can really be both. I would love the idea of people saying, hey y'all, instead of our regular session, guess what? It's an improv workshop and we're doing that. Uh, <laughs> I think fun, but I know that a little bit more realistically, what people are probably gonna do is play a game as a warm up. maybe play one that's a little bit more skill specific uh, to drill mm -hmm. down on something and then dive into their game. And that's often what I have done sometimes when I am facilitating a game uh, I'll think about, well, what is maybe the most important skill that we need for, for this game? Let's play something that focuses on that. Uh, for example, I was at um, Origins some time ago, back in the before times, uh, <laughs> and I was facilitating Sign, which is a wonderful LARP um, that is a little bit of the experience. It's influenced um, by the development of sign language in Venezuela. Uh, which at the time in the 70s didn't have uh, a codified sign language. It was just house signs. And so there was a lot of um, trouble in communicating. And that is from Thorny Games, and that's their whole deal. They love talking about language and communication. And because it is a silent game where you are kind of making up uh, a, a sign language just for that game to kind of show the experience of what is it like to start with almost no way to uh, express who you are. And by the end of it, hopefully being able to have other people understand who you are as a person. It needs a lot of eye contact. It needed a lot of people being able to be aware and looking around and seeing is somebody trying to get my attention right now. So we played a game that is very focused on holding sustained eye contact and, and trying to really uh, communicate through that. And the game in the book is called Go. And it, so I, I ran that kind of as a warm up with the idea to remind people like you should always be kind of scanning around and looking. And if you are too kind of focused on your own thing, you're not going to see the game that's happening around you. I, uh, I haven't played it, but I read through a sign a couple of months back and I was very I thought that was a very impressive and, and very challenging game. I thought wow, that's going to be really hard. And, and as an old school gamer, I was like, that's the kind of thing that I want to play. That's very impressive that you'd ask people to uh, 
to, to make up a language on the fly to communicate anything whatsoever. Um, I will say, okay, so, I yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. So, so here's the thing that I kept, that I kept hidden um, to spring on you uh, during the show here. <laughs> and that is that coincidentally, I just happen to be taking an improv class myself here uh, at awesome. the Barbera Group in New York with an uh, instructor named uh, Samantha Evans. And mm -hmm. um, I'm, only two, I'm only two classes in, uh, love it to death. I can see, you know, I have a lot of friends that uh, were part of the UCB system. Um, and I can very easily see getting, you know, falling down a rabbit hole and getting addicted to it. Uh, our Friday night class, we had a little trouble with some eye contact stuff. There was, um, you know, just second class and people are getting into it for the first time. And there was, mm -hmm. you know, there was an exercise where um, three people were trying to tell a story communally. And initially, uh, we weren't making sufficient eye contact to know when we were attending a sentence to end. And we had to get re redirected by Samantha on that. So that is uh, really, I, I just experienced that 48 hours ago, how critical that is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if it's something that is available to you, it makes such a huge difference to have that sustained eye contact with your, you know, with your scene partners. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because actually at the moment we're still, you know, in a big group here in New York, we are still masked. So we are trying to do yeah. a lot. We're in person, but we're actually still masked. So at the moment, we don't have uh, facial expressions. We don't have mouth expressions. We only have eyes for yeah, our, uh, <laughs> right? So that's kind of, it, it, so it feels like, a, a, again, additionally challenging. And now it's even more important to, because we only have the eye contact. That's the only thing we're getting out of each other's faces a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's surprising how much you can communicate like that. It is. Yeah. I certainly, when I first started meeting with my troop again, it was all masked and I was concerned, like, is this going to be a challenge? And honestly, after a while, you kind of didn't notice it. I think the same is what I do if I'm in a grocery store and suddenly I'm like, am I wearing my mask? Oh yes, I am. Okay. I just kind of forgot about it. <laughs> um, it you, you start focusing on other things. Again, you start focusing on, um, on their uh, expression in their eyes, person's body language. There's lots of other ways that you can express yourself, you know, then, lower half of your face so you know i i might be jumping the gun on this topic because i was going to hold it for later but since we're kind of talking about like how the pandemic yeah. has impacted stuff um yeah, yeah that's um i mean the other thing that's in that's in my mind like obviously i have the i have the first edition of the book here um and i was looking over mm -hmm. the notes of what's coming in the second edition what things have changed and i saw there was a note there about uh adapting stuff for the fact that a lot of people are playing online now Right, that's a, mm -hmm. a major impact, I think, of, of the pandemic. And you're talking about eye contact, and of course, my, my brain is immediately saying like, "Oh, but we're now all on cameras, and everybody's looking like slightly down into the left, or or weird. Mm -hmm. You know, nobody's really making eye contact on these things. How, does this mm -hmm. game even adapt to online, or is this one of the ones where you would just redline it and say that's not that one's not for online? Go is one of the ones that I'm still trying to <laughs> figure out how I can make something similar to work online. Mm -hmm. Uh, we are making a roll 20 module that's going to have it's going to have everything up there so you can kind of pop it up and have a lot of things on your screen if you want to play that way and there's going to be some tools to help out specifically with some games and ways to kind of randomize suggestions or throw a timer up there if you want to time your scenes but there are a few that really were designed to be played in a physical space and mm -hmm. so i am working on how can i make something how can i make a little different that will approximate how this should be played online. 
because I still think that there's so much value in how it's played in the physical space. I didn't want to lose it. I didn't want to drop it from the second edition. So there are some things that don't, don't work, but there are a lot of tips for how to make online play a little smoother and to kind of recreate or just work around some of the things that we often think of as a barrier for online play. Uh, one of them is kind of what I'm doing right now, what I'm trying to do is when I am speaking, and this is, is an exercise that we have in the book, it's kind of in a little bit before we actually dive into stuff in a chapter on online play uh, that was written by uh, Marcus Sams, who runs the Moment Theater in San Francisco, because I have a lot of uh, contributors in the second edition, which is very exciting. And he so. has been all online for the past two years. And so he had a lot of really interesting tips for how he kind of makes uh, but one of them is how to fake eye contact. So it is at least perceived to be going in one direction. So, and I'm not great at it, but I try. Whereas when I'm speaking, I'm gonna be looking at the camera. So when people are looking at me, it feels like you're receiving eye contact. Now, obviously I'm losing a little bit because I'm not looking exactly at people's faces, but I have peripheral vision and I can still kind of look down and see how people are doing the same way that you might, you know, scan an audience if you're talking to a group. Uh, mm -hmm. And then when somebody else is speaking, I drop my eyes down to look at them. If they're looking at their camera, then it feels more like they're speaking directly to me. So that is mm -hmm. one thing that you can do to help your fellow scene partners and to help each other out feel a little bit like when you are speaking to each other that you're feeling that connection. But it is still something that I'm trying to figure out, how is that gonna work in the games that really need eye contact? I haven't figured that out yet. If other people have ideas, I'm very excited to hear them. And we're gonna kind of keep adding to the Roll20 module as we figure out better ways to hack these games. But there awesome. are a lot um, that are really easy to translate that don't, don't need more than uh, a different idea of how do we pass the turn. Nice. I'm going to throw up a, a on that point. I'm going to throw up a, a comment from our viewer Vance here on on screen. And Vance says, uh, "Yeah, uh, I was taking continuation improv classes online, uh, but very challenging to get the connection energy to get the scenes going. Um, so that probably matches your experience, Karen. And and Vance, if you had if your group found, had any solutions to that, feel feel free to tell us about that." I think we all found that. I, I found that a struggle too when I was still trying to play with my troupe. Uh, what we ended up doing was honestly shifting more to the types of warm-up games and little exercises that are in the book as opposed to trying to do scenes. So we focused more on the play and practice than the performing. And I think that made a huge difference because especially with these types of exercises, you're working in a group you're not trying to necessarily embody a character and have a meaningful connection with somebody. You are gonna lose a little bit of the timing that you need if you're trying to do comedy, uh, which and I wouldn't recommend trying to be funny when you're doing improv anyways, because it's not gonna work. So like, don't even worry about it. Uh, because you're gonna lose that, you have lag, you're not gonna hit those beats in the same way. So that's something that our troupe just started doing. We realized we were just having a lot more fun with the shorter, skill-based exercises. And when I teach online, what I'm teaching primarily right now is improv for real life classes. That's actually the name of the class that I, I teach off and on with a couple other instructors through Berkeley Improv Theater uh, in the Bay Area. And we it's very similar to what Improv for Gamers is all about. We are taking the exercises that improvisers would use to practice skills like active listening and you know being creative and flexible and you know being a good collaborator. We just talk about how they're great life skills. 
So we, we play those exercises and strengthen those good life skills. And that's it. There's no scene work in those classes. I'm not giving notes on anybody. We're, we're just playing and practicing. Cool. cool, cool. Same exercises for that? Exact same exercises? Same toolkit? Or do you have specialized exercises in that kind of situation? Yeah. A lot of them. I think there are some that work better. Again, when I am in, in person, I, I enjoy taking advantage of more singing and chanting games because they are fun. Doing things in unison, doing mm. things that require a little bit more movement. So when I am teaching in person, there's definitely a change uh, than what I teach online. But as I said, there's still there's so much that works just fine online. Cool, cool. I will say, so I mentioned to Karen right before the show that one of the warm-up exercises in Improv for Gamers that caught my eye was there's an exercise called Hey Fred Schneider, um, in <laughs> which uh, one is supposed to uh, uh, chant in cadence uh, uh, similarly to the way that Fred Schneider would when he's singing for the B-52s of, um, hey, mm -hmm. now I am going to say something um yeah like that and and of course i was amused that there had to be a sidebar explaining to people who fred schneider was so like you you don't know who fred schneider is come on yeah that's why you don't know who fred schneider is but it's helpful thanks if you do <laughs> franchise musical tape rock love love it or hate it you know it's fine there you go uh, uh yeah, summer in hell right we all love summer in hell Summer in yeah. Hell by, by, by Fred Schneider, right? <laughs> on, his, on his solo album. <laughs> I just said, nobody yeah, else from Dan here. <laughs> I think that's a good example of, of a game. Again, if you're thinking about, well, how do I make this work online? Where if you were in person, you would chant in unison, and that's not going to work. Because mm -hmm. even if we are all in our separate you know, rooms, actually chanting in real time, you're not gonna hear it that way. It's gonna hear like everybody else is a second or two behind you. So that's something very easy where you can just have, you know, maybe the person speaking does both things. They give their verse and they do the chorus and you just go around that way, as opposed to everybody trying to do things together. Or they do their verse and, and I'm not sure like maybe everybody, or you mute your own mics it's, or you just do it anyways and it's all off, it doesn't matter. Like improv is messy. It's really yeah. okay. It's perfect. We're not trying to be perfect at all. Uh, but that's something, again, you just have to be a little creative and like, well, how do we get past that lag? Well, you know, we only have one person do the, the chorus then and everybody else just dances along and, you know, maybe says it silently. Uh, that's good. I'm going to throw this up from uh, our viewer, William. Um, uh, this all begs the question, what are the statistics of a rock lobster? What is the challenge rating, I assume, is this follow-up question. <laughs> <laughs> William, we're going to get on that right after the show. We'll, we'll work that out. Yeah. And we'll get back to you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I know, I know, Harry, uh, go ahead, Paul. I, I was going to say, um, we, you know, we experimented with playing a few different games uh, online, both uh, streaming and, and privately. And I was surprised to discover there were certain games that we just kind of stumbled on that just naturally fit the online format much better. Uh, I'm thinking specifically yeah. of... Um, uh, Cheat Your Own Adventure actually works really well online just because of its very structured turn-based mechanism where there's always a an active narrator and it gets passed around. Um, mm -hmm. I'm curious, are there, are, there other, are there exercises that jump out at you from the book where you're like, actually, this one works great. It's kind of like built for, for online. I think all the turn-based ones are just fine because you can either set up a, a set order. You know, right now there's so many video chats that are 
easy to actually kind of pin everybody in a you know approximate a circle there are some really fun ones that where where we used to play a passing of physically like passing an invisible ball to people it's fun now to set it up like Brady Bunch style on the screen. And if you just know who's at your right and who's at your left, you can still like pass the invisible ball to the other screen. And that's, I think that's really fun. Just oh, how, it, how it looks, you know, that you're still doing something together as opposed to everybody just kind of going forward. So those are fun little things that you can play with. I like that exercise a lot, you know, so we've we've been trying to, you know, many of us obviously have been trying to play, you know, role playing games online and had a very different mm -hmm. Uh, and with, you know, even without trying to do improvisational comedy, I've had a very different experience and in some ways uh, a much more taxing experience. Like I think a lot of us find we get a lot, we get tired faster. Um, mm -hmm. Our, our in-person game, you know, our bi-weekly in-person game used to be, every, used to be four hours. And we basically cut that down to basically two hours online because we're all getting so tired, like really being on the edge of our seats, waiting for the moment when the channel is open for the one person to talk. And it's it's never perfect. And obviously on our show, we're doing that all the time. We, we do the best we can, but boy, it is really tiring trying to find that that one moment where you can talk. And when, I, when we finally gamed in person about two weeks back, I was amazed at how much more energy I had not having to worry about that issue. I think it does make a, a big difference. You know, our gaming group went online as well. And again, we were keeping it pretty much to two hours because we would just get tired afterwards. I struggle with getting distracted by the idea. You know, I try to close all my tabs and then I, I think like, oh, I should check something. You know, even if I'm going over to Roll20 or I'm like looking something up in, you know, Obsidian Portal where we will often like log our games and, and our, um, adventures. Uh, it, for me, I just get distracted on the screen. So it, it never worked very well for me. But obviously, I mean, pre pandemic, there was there were still streams, there's still a lot of people gaming online. Mm. Uh, I'd say streaming has a performative aspect where you're very aware that there is in fact an audience. So you can't really do things that still you could do online of like, hey, I got to get up for a second and go get some water. Or let's take a quick break uh, that you don't get to do online at all. And so when you change your your gaming to that performance aspect, I think that that makes something very different and even more exhausting when you just have that feeling of you are on the whole time. Yeah, I see that. Let me, let me bring back to your book here a little bit. Uh, I'm going to throw up a, a comment from our viewer, uh, Sebastian here, who said, um, hey, I read the first edition and learned a lot. Thanks for the great tips. It makes yeah. the sessions much better. Can you share how far the um, the second edition is completed? Are you done with the second edition or is that still a work oh, in yeah. progress? No, 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 it's done. Uh, Evil Hat doesn't crowdfund books that aren't done yet. Uh, what we are doing right now is we're waiting for some additional art that we were adding to second edition and then it goes to proofreading. I finished writing the whole thing months ago and it went through editing and we did some back and forth. And again, we had other contributors bring in their things and edit those and put them all in. So it's it's ready to go. And it does have about 50% more content at this point because we added about a dozen more exercises and some kind of smaller little chapters by different people that are sharing their own experiences. We have a, a lot of fun little like 
improv tip from so-and-so uh, where we have just like other gamers kind of share, you know, what is the biggest improv takeaway that they have. So we have kind of little snippets of advice throughout the whole thing too. So those are some of the things that you can expect in the second edition, but it is done. I am of course not needing to take up the courage to ask the project manager if it's possible for me to put in one more exercise right now. I don't know if I can get away with doing it because there's still, there's always more that I want to include and things that occur to me of, oh, that would have a really great lesson and I didn't put it in there. Mm. So, and that's why, that's why I wanted second edition in the first place. As soon as it was out, I was still adding new things to the workshop, you know, cause I was continuing to teach it and it was continuing to evolve. And the, and you know, the book was kind of a static capture of here's what was going on, you know, in 2017. But it is, you know, I'm still always learning and changing and coming up with new ideas too. So immediately there were things that I thought, oh, I that, wish I had gotten that into the book. I feel like that's a good sign that a project has legs like that. That you're still, you know, you're constantly coming up with new things. I think is a really good sign that it's, you know, truly a work of of, of love and passion. Um, and it's it's so funny how much stuff has changed. In just the last couple of years, it was it was like maybe a month ago. I was looking at the standard email that I send out to, to guests who agree to be on our show, actually, and and mm -hmm. up until just a couple of months ago, I had there was this paragraph that said, "We use software that's going to control your camera and also your microphone and send it to a streaming service online." And I read that I'm like, mm -hmm. so it's like a Zoom call. Why am I explaining <laughs> to people what a, I why am I explaining to people what video now. conferencing is? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I had to, I had to edit that. We're, we're a lot more aware of now, uh, and a lot more familiar with. So yeah, so people are a little bit more understanding of like, yeah, I think I. If you don't know by now how to set up your camera angle, <laughs> you really should. Figure that out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let me throw up a um, uh, uh, comment here by uh, Ollie Wright. Um, and Ollie's saying, I've already backed the book, excited to read it. And of Yay! course, Karen, you've already hit your, your primary funding goal on GameFound, and congratulations yes. on that. So at this point, your next stretch goal uh, that we'll be working forward to is what? We have we only have two stretch goals, so and we're we don't want to reveal them until we've kind of hit the, the first one. So we didn't even kind of say what these ones were uh, until we had funded. So not that they were secret, but the first one is just some book improvements. What I would really like is to add a ribbon bookmark, and this was not something that we could actually uh, put into the book right out of the gate. It it makes it more expensive than you would think. As I learned, I thought, well, how much does it cost? And Fred Dix was like, a lot, actually. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so our our first plan is to put in a bookmark and put a little spot gloss on the cover. If you've seen some of uh, the other books, uh, like Blades in the Dark, like Thirsty Sword Lesbians, they have a little bit of, of spot gloss and a little bit of embellishment on the cover, and that's always pretty. But that's the main thing, is get a bookmark in there. And then if we get that, we will hopefully be able to hit our next goal, which is pay everybody more. Um, again, because the book is done, everybody has been paid. That was, Evil Hat is a, is a publisher that has money to start projects, um, just due to their due to their budgeting and kind of how their crowdfunding works is just to kind of get things through the door. So everybody has been paid for their time uh, and 
hopefully to industry standard rates. Um, but we want to pay people more because this, again, everybody knows that you don't really make as much money as you could in games publishing. So I would really like that. I would really like to be able to, um, you know, increase what we gave all of the editors and contributors and artists and lay out everybody else involved in the project. Thank you for thinking about that. I, I, we, we feel that's important and we want people to be, you know, more comfortable and better, better rewarded for working and for, for producing great games. Um, yeah. And we, you know, we care, yeah. we care very much about, you know, we're, I, I always say we're people of the book here. So we care about, you know, the, the, uh, the printing quality and the binding and stuff like that is all very yeah. interesting. We ask, actually, um, you know, I was reading the preview on my tablet the last couple of days. What's the, the physical size of the book? Is it digest size or is it like eight by 11 type size? It's, what is this? Nine by six? I mean, it's the standard size of all evil hat books. They, they like having everything the same size. And I think that's what it is. I'd have to get a ruler. Exactly. But the other thing that I really like, um, it's just the way that it's stitched with, um, now I can't remember the name of it, which I feel like I should, cause I did take a book binding class once, but it, it lays flat very easily. And, and this is again, like a little nerdy thing that we thought about that I was thinking about as a teacher. If, if this is kind of a teacher's manual, I want every game to be on a two-page thread that lays flat. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't want people to have to flip around. I don't want the book to to kind of, uh, you know, the, the pages flipping back over. So even though it will be a little bit larger, I think it's still going to be able to have that because of the way it is with, I think they're called signatures. Um, it's going to lay flat really nicely when you open it. And it's still every game is, a two, is its own two-page spread. And so it's all contained there which is a, a nerdy little that. thing that like for, you know, just user experience of ha having that ease, not having to flip. I'm not, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm right there with you, Karen. Uh, I, I've done a little uh, mm -hmm. book binding myself as well, so I'm happy to uh, nerd out about that. Uh, let's see, uh, here we go. So mm, mm, looks okay, like good. about <laughs> nine and a half by mm, six and a quarter is what I'm seeing here. Right. Uh, right. Uh, right. Looks, looks like a saddle stitch. So that's what we were looking for. Yeah. So it looks like a saddle stitch to yeah. me. Someone in the comments, maybe we'll practice. <laughs> um, okay. Reminds reminds me a little bit of the uh, of the little brown books. It's it, it's a it's a nice it's a nice size. It fits in your hand. You get it in digital on a tablet. It fits just the right size. What? So uh, well well chosen, well chosen all yeah. around. Yeah. It's it's fascinating yeah, to me that like that it's a standard size for Evil Hat. It makes me wonder if the, the the shelves over at Evil Hat are just a certain configuration so they, they are want everything to it fit. looks hard. <laughs> <laughs> Having a hat on my shelf i can confirm it looks great looks all great. the same height and let me um let me throw up a yeah. comment but from uh from dennis ryan so dennis ryan says i don't know how they do it but the evil hat soft uh, almost velvety texture on the covers so um do you agree with that paul yeah 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 can yeah. confirm I, I think these things are so important it makes such a big difference uh <laughs> And we will obviously. There's going to be um, there's a PDF version, there's an EPUB version. So and there will be um, like print on demand options for for a lot of it, especially for the people who are um, unable to. We can't ship internationally to a lot of countries. Is unfortunate, but it is what it is. So we're trying to to get get the book to everybody in the format that we can get it to them. Cool. 
Cool. Yeah. So, I mean, again, uh, the, the, this product is definitely being published. So if our viewers uh, get in uh, to the to the crowdfunding, they will. De this is definitely going to happen. And it, it, they make a yeah. great book for it. Fantastic. Yeah. Barring any, any horrible supply chain, it should be in people's hands by the end of the year. So we're, we're pretty optimistic that that we'll be able to do that. So great Christmas present. Great. Thank you. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think the other cool thing that's on the um, part of the game found, and this is kind of an exclusive for the campaign, is that we are including a little journal workbook. We made a um, a bullet journal companion workbook to it, which basically will have condensed versions of just the instructions. So it doesn't have all the other text about it. It has just the instructions and a lot of space for you to write and journal and mark it up again because we really encourage people to hack the games up however you need to to make it work for you especially for online uh, or for other accessibility needs or just if there's anything that you don't like you can change it and so this gives a place for people to actually write on the book uh, but th those are a limited print run so there will be some type of print on demand option so you can kind of make handouts even but that that specific kind of stitched workbook is uh, really only for the, the GameFound campaign. So get it now, kids. <laughs> I mark my books up all the time. So I feel like that's incredibly valuable when you have a physical book like that to, to, to make your yeah. own. I welcome people to do it. You know, write in the book, put, put a bunch of, of sticky notes everywhere, highlight it. That's great. Like I, the more the people I think interact with it, the more excited I am that they're really digesting it and making it work for them. And I think that that's a lot about the the kind of philosophy in the book is just like make it work for you and take what what works for you. Yeah, yeah I, I see that as a, it, it, as a nice toolkit is you're obviously not going to use all of these exercises from beginning to end in the book. You're going to pick some stuff that works right. for you and adjust it a little bit. And it's interesting because there are some of your you know, of your many collaborators, you know, there, there's a couple pieces of advice that are contradictory in the book actually, which is which is interesting to get different perspectives like that. Mm -hmm. um, um, so which ones? So, so no, I'm which ones are contradictory? <laughs> you know what, actually it's a little bit of a, you know what, it's, uh, oh God, we've gotten in trouble talking about this stuff in the past here on the no, show. So. <laughs> that's very true because you can take a lot of different things. And again, there's lots of different ways to play games. So there's not one right way to be doing this. And I, I think it's great that people take away specifically what translates to them to enhance their style of play. And people have very different styles. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. definitely, definitely. Um, mm -hmm. I think that I think the things that, I, that I'm thinking about are, you know, um, you know, cultural sensitivity issues in which, you know, there are some places where um, uh, like James Mendez Hodes, who's great and we've mm -hmm. had on the show in the past is like, be very, very cautious and be very, very, you know, try to get buy-in from people from that culture. And then you know somewhere else is like try to expand your diversity issues and add more stuff mm -hmm. from other cultures in order to make it you know inclusive and diverse. Um, so yeah. um, that's something many of us are thinking about nowadays. Yeah, there's different ways that you can approach it, and I think that there's ne not necessarily people saying don't don't explore diversity in your games, but just make sure that you're doing it respectfully, um, because I think gaming is a great opportunity to learn uh, about you know, about other people, about other cultures. Um, but you just need to make sure that you're being mindful and respectful when you're doing it. So yeah, there are some exercises that were written by people to really encourage 
that and and kind of get some exposure but there's also some reminders we have uh, both from an improviser and from a gamer their perspectives of how do we approach uh, playing outside your own culture and what are some of the things that you should keep in mind yeah that's nice to see there that's very nice to see mm -hmm. there. let me okay now that i'm making now that i'm making life awkward for all of us <laughs> It's 35 minutes past the hour, so it's time for Dan to make everybody awkward. Um, so let me ask a couple, hard, let me, let me ask a couple hard questions. Uh, on this show, we you know straddle old school and new school gaming, and probably most days we talk more about original D and D, and then we we try to step into what's what's that like in fifth edition nowadays uh you know our our tournament game show that paul and i ran uh, two years ago called the big bad was using the fifth edition rules so we can we can play games like that but as as all of us who all three of us here who started with earlier editions um mm -hmm. a d and d or basic d and d at that at that time era there are some significant differences between you know traditional uh fantasy role playing and um you know, like there's a lot of talk in the book about GMless games, right? Storytelling mm -hmm. GMless games. How, yeah. what kind of exercises do you think would be different between someone who's preparing for a GMless storytelling game like Fiasco or Blades in the Dark versus if they were playing AD&D where um, there's clearly a very um, auteur-like DM who's made mm -hmm. the world and there isn't a lot of expectation that the players are going to be adding world building elements from moment to moment in the game. How would what mm -hmm. what kind of focus in preparation would differ between those types of games, Karen? I I think I think sometimes we we separate them a little too much in which ones are more improvisational because everyone is still making up a story on the spot. You still need those basics of how to collaborate well, how to invite other people's ideas, how to be flexible. The the players are responding in the moment to the situation at hand. You know, they are improvising very much in in a in a response mode. They are still making up their characters and making relationships matter between them and the other uh, PCs and NPCs. So they're still really doing a lot of world building and, and contributing as they are, you know, taking the framework of the story and adding all the details to it. And I am, uh, you know, I love all types of games. And actually some of my favorite games that I like playing at cons are from a specific DM that I literally will try to find uh, his games that he's running. And they're a little railroady, but I love them because he has a, a very set structure of, I'm gonna, we're gonna tell this story and I'm, I'm the director and you're the actors, I'm gonna set up some scenes and then you're gonna go with them. And it still is very organic about how we get, you know, from A to B to C, that is entirely up to us. But, you know, he might have some beats in mind of how things are gonna start, what is the, you know, the tilt in the middle, what is the big bad at the end? And so, uh, but to go back to kind of what's the difference between how you would prepare for a, a more trad game versus like a GMless game, I I think it's the same. I think it's it's a lot of the same things that you're going to need, which is how to rotate the spotlight as opposed to you know one person being responsible for that, everybody being responsible for that. But as a player, you should still maybe be a little bit knowledgeable of like, have I been in the spotlight too much? Should I pass this to somebody else now? 
Like you should be responsible for that. It's not up to the GM to, to run the entire thing. You are still an adult sitting at a table telling a story with other people and should think about how to make sure that everybody's having a good time and being involved. That's good. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. I will say that some of the, you know, some of the advice that I thought um, in your book that really what felt very old school to me and felt very appropriate for the games that I want to run are things like start small. Uh, mm -hmm. How, you know, can you run a character starting from just one word? Uh, can you have yeah. a small idea for a character, which feels very old school to me of it might just be your the name of your class. It might just be, mm -hmm. you know, one single idea and then discover the, you know, who the character is going to evolve into through play. And that's something that I have uh, been harping on for years, uh, counter to, and, you know, Paul and I has, has seen that in the past, counter to do you have to write a five page backstory before you start playing? Um, mm -hmm. And it's it's funny that that advice felt very very old school to me, which and of course in the book it's called the touchstone to the character of keep going back. To yeah, that. yeah. There's a lot of advice for for world building, and the touchstone again is is one way that you can just kind of start your character. It's also a reminder for LARPers about how to get back to their character if you feel like you've lost your character since they're playing full bodyment of of their character and who they are. You want to have that core thing. The same as if you know people often. In, tell you if you're trying to find a dialect or, or um, an accent, have a phrase that you always keep in mind that mm -hmm. helps you get back there. It's that kind of same thinking. But yeah, there is a lot of advice about world building and how to start with something small. And the ideas of how you can either ask yourself moving forward, like, well, if this is true, then what else is true? Or you can move backwards of if this is true, why is it true? And and kind of go go back a little bit. And that will help you build out um, a little bit more organically from one point and keep the whole story really connected together as opposed to trying to pull a lot of different facts together and then find ways to glom them all together. So there's a lot of advice on how to organically world build. That makes sense, particularly when you have like, you know, uh, you know, I've in older games, you tend to have more players, too. So I've run games with as many as 14 players that I've been DMing and yeah. Paul and I have been in games with as many as 27. Um, oh and when you have, yeah, right, and um, yeah, uh, <laughs> which was, was we can tell you some stories. And that was run by uh, Bill Webb of Necromancer Games, actually, at a convention. And we walked into a room, we're like, are you kidding me? So in those kinds of situations, <laughs> you don't have as much space to, uh, you know, uh, splice together 27 giant backstories um, Gosh, and you yeah. kind of need a small thing and then discover where it fits into the party. Um, so mm -hmm. I feel like that's great advice. I feel like the one weird thing uh, advice is great. I feel yeah. that, and this has been coming up in my class, um, is the, it's okay to be mundane for a while. It's okay to take, yeah. it's okay to take the one weird thing and then just respond to it honestly for a little while in the real world and not feel mm -hmm. like you have to keep uh, piling I guess I've heard the SNL people call a hat on a hat of keep piling more and yeah. more crazy stuff on top of it is you can just respond in a mundane fashion and that gets you a lot that gets you a lot of uh, a lot of stuff. Yeah, there's the idea of dare to be dull is another way that I've heard it or you know <laughs> choice. Don't worry about being smart or funny or clever. Uh, what's more important is to be in the moment and be authentic. And yes, you can absolutely have 
weird things about your character, but the more weird things you have, the harder it's going to be to make them all fit together in a way that still feels manageable for the story. So if you just have one weird thing and you respond to that very authentically, one, I think that's going to bring better comedy than trying to tell jokes um, and trying to be wacky. Uh, but it's also just going to keep things a lot more grounded and focused. Yeah, I feel like that's I feel that's very old school gaming to me of the it really echoes the um, the idiom of having a, a normal real world mundane starting point and then having something supernatural and horrible, you know, that your normal people have to encounter and deal with. And at least in my gaming, you know, some of the stuff that's going to be really important is your natural understanding of what a horse is like or what a rope is like or what a sack or a mirror. Mm -hmm. Right. And these mundane things, you don't need special, a lot of special rules to handle because we all know how that stuff or a barrel or some flour, we all know how that works. And that's a major part of our gaming. And I feel like, you know, digging into that's great advice. Mm -hmm. I think there's also a lot of freedom in improv to just, just fudge it, just say that it works. You know, if I'm playing a hacker character, I don't know how to hack a computer. So I, I'm not going to stress myself out about explaining exactly how that works. I'm going to say what I would like to have happen of, ooh, I want to be able to pull these files on this character to find out this information. And I want to pinpoint their, their location, you know, in, in this cyberpunk city that we're in, you know, and, uh, and I'm going to roll for that and see how well I do. I don't, I don't need to know how to code. And, and I think that that's okay to let people know, like, you can you can kind of just skip over those parts and narrate, you know, and it works. Because that's the important part. And as much as fun as it is, again, because there's different games where the planning is the fun part. But if you get yourself to the point where you don't actually know how the physics of the plan works, you know, you're, you're trying to build a trebuchet, like, it's fine. It's, it's, it's still just a pretend game. Yeah, I don't want to make start playing pretend. I, I laugh. Wave your magic pretend wand, and it works now. I laugh um, because on our our uh, Thursday night um, uh, TDR uh, live play show the last couple of weeks, uh, we've been playing a cyberpunk game, and I've been playing a hacker for about the, poor, the, the past four weeks there. So I've been we've been yeah. doing exactly that. So if that if that sounds like an interesting game that Karen just described, you should check out our archives for TDR the last couple of weeks where we had our cyberpunk yeah. game going. Um, mm -hmm. And it was run by our friend Christian and it was it was fantastic. Um, so mm -hmm. we have been experiencing all that. And you know what, the thing is, of course, if you ha do happen to be a coder, right? And if you do have to happen to have extra knowledge about how you actually would bring a, a build a trebuchet, bring it in. Educate your fellow oh, players yeah. about it, I would say, right? <laughs> if you're excited to share that knowledge, I'm excited to hear it. Mm -hmm. uh, but mm -hmm. if, if you don't know exactly how it works, I am also excited to make this easy on you and and move to you know the parts that you're excited about in the story. And and there are in the book, there are some exercises that encourage you to just make up whatever you need to make up to make it work. So it kind of shows that flexibility of because this is improv, we can just grab what we need. And here it is. And it makes sense in this world because I said that it does. So now it does. And that's a wonderful freedom that you have in improv where you can really just define the, the reality of the world as you're going. Great, that's great.
Let me, let me, okay, let me ask a couple, so I'm, I'm going to, I'm, as we're kind of get towards the end of our time here, I'm going to take the opportunity and ask a couple of questions that I've had coming from my improv class. So just since I have yeah. an expert on camera, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. Is there a, is there a tension between um, the desire to say something coherent that you want to think about in advance versus the pacing of want to say something immediately in improv? So for what it's worth, like, Paul, Paul is the only person that knows this right now. I have a couple signs over on my wall behind my cameras when we run this show of reminders of how I should speak. And so specifically in an attempt to avoid fillers, I have a thing here that says slow down. Otherwise, I, my talking gets ahead of, ahead of where I want to go and I start doing something like this and I um and I ah. But on the other hand, there's a lot of advice in improv to like, don't think, right? Just blurt out what's in your mind and like the UCB TV production company is actually called Don't Think Productions and stuff like that. Is there a tension between that, between you want to talk immediately without thinking versus want to think through something that's going to be useful? Where do you, where do you set that, that balance point? That is absolutely contradictory advice and it's both helpful. Um, so there's something about finding, finding the line between that. I too will talk ahead of my thoughts. I often find that I have gotten ahead of where I was thinking and I too struggle with in my improv slowing down because I have a desire to fill the silence and I then just end up filling it with chatter and I'm not filling it with things that are relevant. So for me, it's important to slow down and to take a second and to focus on just responding and like, how is my character feeling to this? And it is okay in improv to have silence in scenes. It feels like a thousand hours but it is not. <laughs> so we do practice things like taking a long time before your next line so that you get a little bit more trained to slow down. That being said, we encourage you to not worry so hard about finding the right idea, but putting out what you have and your partner is going to work with you. The other thing to think about in improv is you don't have to have the whole idea. This is a team sport. This is a team activity that you're doing. And so, again, a lot of things that we practice is coming up, with, coming up with the starting point and everybody else fills it in to finish. And you see this in games, like for Fiasco, uh, example, Fiasco, you can start the scene or you can finish the scene. You only get narrative control on one of them. Everybody else is going to fill in the rest of it. You get to decide which one you do. So you have that control, um, but you're still putting faith in the hands of other people of, I either trust that you're going to set me up in a way that is interesting for the story or that you're going to end it in a way that's interesting for the story. You're really trusting the other people not to just like, you know, sell your character out for a joke. The same thing that you, you don't want to do in improv. So there's a lot of, don't worry so much about having the best idea, but do try to be in the moment and think about what is needed right now. And also like, you know, what would be the best thing for the story to keep the story interesting? So yeah, there's a lot of contradictory advice of go with the most interesting choice, but also go with the boring choice. Uh, slow down, <laughs> but you know, work really quickly. And so you have to do all of those things. And that's why we have different exercises to practice those specifically. And that helps you find the line to, you know, thread the needle between those. That's cool. That's super cool. There was like, you know, like one thing that I would possibly distinguish between older school, newer school gaming 
And there's a point uh, somewhere deep in the book where it says, you know, sometimes we get too hung up on the idea of winning. Um, mm -hmm. And we should, and, and, that, and that kind of feeds into uh, storytelling type games, reinterpreting failure as interesting consequences. Now, yeah. I've had interactions with Paul here, and I'm, I'm a very old school gamer. I'm very competitive. Our, you know, the game that we that we produced a couple of years back was specifically an old school tournament where you got points, uh, and we we gave a trophy away to the the web DM crew that that actually won it. And so, in the if we've had some interactions where Paul asks me, Dan, why are you why are you playing this game right now? And my answer is, well, to win. That is, that is specifically <laughs> yeah. why. That is exactly why I'm doing it. But I think there's a, even in that even in that uh, context um, where you are trying you are trying to, to to win and beat the dungeon. There's a lot of great exercises here that would serve well to um, as team building exercises to coalesce your your best possible dungeon delving team. And one thing that I really loved was the exercise. It, it might have just been like a warm up thing of I've got your back of before yeah. the session or before the show. You literally go around and you just pat each, everybody else on, on the back and say, I've got your back in what's about to come up. Yeah. I, I actually really like that. And I could see doing that in a, in a super old school, we're a military crew D&D bunch. I got your back. Mm -hmm. we're, not gonna, we're not gonna leave anybody behind. And I kind of really love that. I think that that's a really good point. And especially, I mean, I was playing Pathfinder. I didn't want my character to die. I was very invested in that character. I wanted her to win. Um, but I also wanted to not be a sore loser if bad things happened. So there's a lot of, of just like being okay if it doesn't work out, still having fun with that. I mean, it's the same thing when you play collaborative board games. You might not win the game, but you wanted to the whole, still hopefully had fun getting there, yeah. you know, and you can say, ah, we lost, but you're not, it's not ruining your day uh, that you didn't make it. Um, so I think that there's there is a lot there of just having fun and also maybe focusing on making sure that other people win. If everyone's working on building each other up, that's just a lot more satisfying than everybody being in it for themselves. Even if the goal is the same, everybody lives in the end. And so that's a lot of the teamwork mindset that you have in improv is kind of another idea of always make your partner look good. And they're going to do the same to you. And that's going to be better than everyone fighting for their own. So yeah, that's a, a, something that a lot of troops do right before a show is you make eye contact with everyone. You say, hey, I've got your back. And it's just a great way to connect and remind yourself that like we're all doing this scary thing together. I love that. I, I, re I really love that. I think I might be doing that with my D&D &D group in the future. <laughs> it's, it's very feel good. It's very warm fuzzies. And I, I think we need more of that. I, uh, you know, I would, I would, I would phrase it differently as we're going into a horrible situation and we need each other to back each other up. Uh, so, uh, but I, we, we get to the same place. We get to the same place. Yeah. I think it's good advice. There you go. Okay. We are, we are closing in on the, on the, the end of the show here. So I, so I just want to uh, ask you, Karen, is there, is there anything that we haven't touched about the project, uh, about the, about the new edition uh, that you feel like our viewers really uh, should know before we uh, run out of time? I don't think so. Gosh, I think we talked about a lot of the cool things that you can get uh, in addition to the book. 
and I'm just very excited about it. I'm excited to have revamped everything. So it's it's all kind of revised and hopefully a little bit tighter and streamlined and just a lot of new content. So again, I really hope that people continue to uh, try new things and try things in the book and you know get the most that they can out of it. And really thinking about improv as not just being able to be a little less prescripted, but this whole philosophy of just being a better collaborator and storyteller with your friends. Yeah, that's fantastic. Dan, any final thoughts? Yeah, I mean, you know, Paul, we, you and I have always thought that improv is super important. As it, when I went back to our archives, I realized that the second show we ever did was about improv on the show. We had one show that was True. what is all, and the second one we ever did was on improv. Um, mm -hmm. So I think it's important. I see a lot of exercises here that could help our game, and it's so the book is so thoughtful, Karen. Uh, it, it's clearly a labor of, it's clearly has just like so much productivity coming from you. I thought on this show, I was going to have a really smart comment. I thought I was going to be so funny when I said there should be another book called gaming for improvisers, but you already have that. There's an appendix in the book already yeah. called that bring improvisers into your game, which maybe I'm more interested in, frankly. So it's all, it's all here and, and <laughs> such a great product. Yeah. Crane Irvine wrote a lovely piece about how to coax your improviser friends to play a game because it is different going in that direction. Uh, so, uh, so they include some really cool, good advice for that. Fantastic. Yeah, I was impressed. Viewers, uh, thank you for joining us. If you have uh, any any further thoughts or questions about improvisation and gaming, uh, please please leave them in the comments here for us. We, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, maybe there's something we did miss. Uh, if you catch it, we would love to hear it. Maybe we'll incorporate it into uh, our next show. Yeah, uh, and remember, of course, if you're new to The Wandering DM Show, you can like, follow, and subscribe to us, The Wandering DMs, on YouTube and Twitch, and Twitter and Facebook, and GitHub and TikTok. And we do have the handle Wandering DMs on all those sites, so please look for us there. If you prefer to listen to our show in audio-only podcast format, those shows are available at our website at wanderingdms.com, uh, also through various podcast carriers such as iTunes and Google Podcast. Uh, if you are listening to us on one of those third-party carriers and they offer an option to rate and review the show, please do so. Uh, that really helps other users of that site find our show, and uh, we really appreciate it. Yeah, we really do. Of course, huge thanks to our patrons who support the Wandering DMs show. And if you'd like to join them, please visit patreon.com slash wandering DMs. We have a couple different tiers and you can get discounts on merch, access to a private Discord server, monthly behind the scenes stuff, some giveaways, polls and surveys. And we also do after party chat, as you might know, uh, right after the show. We'll be there in about 10 minutes to continue the conversation. I think today uh, we might possibly do some improv games. And then we're also going to have a workshop on what are the statistics to a rock lobster. <laughs> what's going to happen today. Excellent. You're with us today, right, Paul? I am indeed. I will be there. Cool. Uh, and so should you. Come, come, come and join us, everyone. Yeah. Yeah, please do so. Uh, we have a, some other shows coming up uh, this week. As usual, I do some late night uh, old school PC gaming uh, late Tuesday night. Um, my TDR is off this week, I'm pretty sure. Um, and, uh, and that's what's uh, coming up in the near future. Karen Twelves, thank you so much for being with us and best of luck on the rest of your crowdfunding. Thank you so much. This has been a lot of fun. Awesome. That's the Thanks. best. Don't forget, we are live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So please join us again next week for another thought-provoking discussion. We'll see you then.